Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. This is episode 136, <clears throat> excuse me, and it is 25 June, evening of 25 June. You might hear some thunder and lightning in the background. Getting a little rainstorm here. So, uh, not a lot of stuff going on. Well, a lot of stuff going on over there in Russia. And don't even try to get me to explain it because um, I have no idea what the heck's going on over there. But, you know, we really don't go over that stuff. We're more of a materiel type of thing. Um, and plus, everybody else is watching it just like just like I am, so I don't know if that I could add anything anyway. Uh, the last few episodes, we've been doing uh, kind of like the sixth generation fighter uh, episode where we're talking about Europe, uh, UK in the lead with Japan and in Italy, and then over there with France and Germany and Spain. And I haven't gone over what the Americans were doing. I think I said one of the last episodes that I should probably talk about what the Americans are doing. So I found an older article from Breaking Defense uh, from Michael Morrow from, four, uh, I'm sorry, 18 April, uh, NGAD, which means Next Generation Air Dominance Fighter. Air Force's next, next generation fighter will be selected in 2024, which is like in six months, right? Like I said, older story, 18 May. So here we go. Air Force has formally begun solicitation. Proposals for its secretive next-generation air dominance fighter, according to Service News release, with the goal of awarding a contract for the jet next year. Uh, here's a released quote. The Department of the Air Force released a classified solicitation to industry for an engineering and manufacturing development contract for next-generation air dominance platform with the intent to award a contract in 2024. And... Uh, kind of a quote, uh, the next generation air dominance platform is a vital element of the air dominance family of systems. We've heard that before, which represents a generational leap in technology over the F-22, which it will replace. And that's from air, air Force Secretary Frank Kendall. He also said the next generation air dominance uh, fighter will include attributes such as enhanced lethality and the abilities to survive, persist, interoperate and adapt in the air domain all within highly contested operational environments. The pool of vendors vying to build the aircraft is unclear, though defense giants Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and Northrop Grumman are assumed to be in the mix. No surprise there. The Air Force is requesting billions of dollars over the next five years for R&D efforts with an initial buy of 200 though a price tag for the fighter is currently unclear. However, Kendall has hinted it is going to be incredibly expensive being multiples of the F-35, likely totaling $700 million per tail per aircraft. The Air Force's collaborative combat aircraft drones that will join the NGAD in combat will be separate from the fighter solicitation process, according to the release. <clears throat> uh, real quick on that. This is what I, obviously, it's not what I think is what's happening. 
these next generation, sixth generation fighters, they're not just going to be fighters. They're going to work with um, loyal wingman type thing, uh, armed drones, sophisticated weaponry. Maybe you carry a payload that drops uh, a, a lethal payload that shoots out swarms of drones. All this stuff, family system is, I mean, uh, I've said it before. It's, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not cutting edge for saying it. I'm, I've heard other people say it, that the, the future is going to be these unmanned systems, the autonomous systems. Uh, you've heard of maneuver, of course, uh, for ground folks. you got maneuver. Well, there's this thing called robotic-enabled maneuver, where unmanned systems and sensors in the air and on the ground and under, under the water, of course, are, are going to play a role in the next conflict. I mean, you're seeing it. You saw in the early stages of the conflict uh, in Ukraine, of course, and then uh, Armin and Azerbaijan, they were in the 2020, they were shooting it out with unmanned systems or uncrewed systems, whatever you want to call it. So that's that's what's coming. Moving on. Uh, the Air Force collaborative combat aircraft drones that will join in GAD and combat will be separate. We talked about that. At least one full-scale uh, NGAD pro prototype is known to have flown in 2020. But the program's high classification levels have mostly shrouded its status and secrecy. So they've already flown in a prototype. <clears throat> Shoot, three years ago. Last year, Kendall said the program had entered the engineering manufacturing development phase, EMD phase. That's a that's a uh, Army acquisition term. Or, or Army. It's a defense acquisition term. Uh, though he later backtracked to clarify that the program had not passed a milestone B that formally launches EMD according to Report in Defense News. So you got ABC. What are those your milestones? Uh, obviously, B is the middle one. EMD phase, uh, which means engineering manufacturing development phase. You kind of have a prototype, and then you know you get through that phase to milestone C. Milestone C is program or record. Moving on. Uh, according to Kendall, the Air Force plans to uh, field the fighter by the end of the decade, which is you know only seven years away, six and a half years away. How about that? So uh, that'd be a sixth-generation fighter in six years. So anyway, that's it. That's a good article. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and, and go over that stuff more. Uh, next, there's been a lot of stories with the F-35 and these engines. Um, I think we talked about this many, many, many episodes ago and kind of lost the bubble on it. Uh, but it's been in the news lately, so we're going to talk about it. I, I'm taking from two articles. Uh, Breaking Defense had an article on it, and Defense News had an article on it. About the same time, I think. So I'm going to take a little from both. Um, I'm going to start with the Breaking Defense article, and then I'm going to transfer over to the Defense News article. So here's the Breaking Defense article I'll start with. It's from 22 June, three days ago, from Michael Morrow and Aaron Mehta. Uh, Pratt Blast Confusing and Misleading Adaptive Engine Advocacy, exclusive. Just, you know, catch everybody up. The F-35 is the latest fighter uh, for the Air Force and for many countries. And um, it's made by Lockheed, of course. There's three variants, A, B, C. A is like the Air Force variant. B is like the VTOL Marine Corps variant. And C is the carrier variant for the Navy and the Marine Corps. So the aircraft is made by Lockheed, but the engine is made by Pratt & Whitney. And apparently the engine is ain't cutting it and ain't, ain't making it. 
So they've got two options. They've got option one, improve the engine that they have now, which is what obviously Pratt and Whitney wants to do because they're making it. And I think the Pentagon's on board with that. And the option three was option two, the other option is to just put a brand new engine in it. Anyway, so that's kind of what this is about. So here we go. Uh, for the past two decades, F-35 manufacturer Lockheed Martin and F-135 engine producer Pratt & Whitney have been tied together in a marriage over the fifth generation fighter. But every marriage hits a rocky point and a recent fight over the future engine has lifted tensions to a shockingly public level. And that's why we're finding out about it. In Wednesday's interview with Breaking Defense, Greg Almer, Lockheed Executive Vice President of Aeronautics, publicly backed the Adaptive Engine Transition Program, AETP, as an alternative engine for the F-35. That's the new one that I was kind of mentioning, not the upgrade. Uh, this position seemed to catch Pratt off guard, dealing a blow to the company and the Pentagon's stated approach for upgrading the legacy F-135 F engine and seemingly boosting GE Aerospace, which has been pushing for the adaptive engine option. So GE Aerospace wants to build this new engine. Um, to replace the F-135 engine. Uh, in comments with Breaking Defense hours later, senior executives from Pratt made it clear that they disagree with Ulmer's assessment and that they feel betrayed by the Lockheed Martin executive's decision to go public with his comments. Now, I'm going to stop right there with the Breaking Defense article, and I'm going to go transfer over to the uh, defense news article. They're both good articles, but this is just how I'm doing it. Uh, this is from Wednesday, 21 June. Lockheed backs next-gen engine for F-35, drawing rebuke from Pratt. Defense News, Stephen Losey, L-O-S-E-Y, 21 June, Wednesday. Uh, so you were already kind of caught up. So Lockheed Martin's de decision to publicly back a new next-generation engine for F-35 Breaking with the Pentagon's move to upgrade the current Pratt & Whitney engine drew a forceful rebuke from Pratt. Uh, now we're going to get into what this guy Ulmer from uh, Lockheed Martin says. So Greg Ulmer, Executive Vice President for Aeronautics, said Wednesday with Breaking Defense at the Paris Air Show that the company supports the Adaptive Engine Transition Program for the F-35. In an email to Defense News, Lockheed Martin said the AETP engine would provide greater power and cooling capabilities that would carry the F-35 beyond the upcoming Block 4 upgrades. Block 4 is expected to give the F-35 new sensors the ability to carry more weapons. Uh, Lockheed Martin said that we stand ready to support and continue to work with the U.S. government on the capability and performance upgrades that best support their requirements for the F-35 for decades to come, including an engine upgrade. Uh, the AETP technology deliver more power and greater cooling capability, which is required as we modernize the F-35 beyond Block 4. Now, uh, Pratt & Whitney had, a, an, uh, of course, a statement, and their statement to Defense News, Pratt & Whitney said that Ulmer's comments, or statement, undermines, that's in quotes, the Pentagon's budgetary decision to back the engine core upgrade, the company's name for its plan to modernize the current F-135 F engine. Here's a quote from uh, the president of engines from Pratt & Whitney. AETP is a technology that will feed into sixth-generation fighter platforms. Lockheed wants to put an unproven adaptive engine on a single-engine fighter jet, regardless of the hefty price tag and significant delay in delivering critical capabilities to the warfighter at a time of urgent need. 
this is from Jill Albertelli. So Albertelli noted the Pentagon has yet to define a set of capabilities that the next set of upgrades that Beyond Block Force carry. And she said Pratt's planned upgrade of the F-135 engine, coupled with an updated power thermal management system, could provide enough power and cooling needs for the F-35 throughout the life of the program. Uh, Lockheed, so now we're back to Lockheed. Lockheed also note, uh, noted that General Electric Aerospace and Pratt and & Whitney are developing their own AETP engines. GE's engine is called the XA100 and Pratt's is called the XA101. But GE has consistently pushed for putting the adaptive engine in the F-35. Of course, Pratt, Pratt & Whitney, they've got their own ideas. They maintain an adaptive engine is better suited for a sixth-generation fighter, such as the next-generation air dominance platform we just talked about, currently undeveloped by the U.S. Air Force. Uh, almost done here. The Pentagon has decided the cost of funding both options would be too great and announced a decision to go with the engine core upgrade and FY24 budget proposal. The department did not request funding for AETP, so the Pentagon is not about this AETP. They want to go with the upgrade that Pratt wants to go with. But, you know, add, you know, we just can't get out of our way, our own way sometimes. But the House, uh, House Armed Services Committee this month proposed a version of the FY24 National Defense Authorization Act that would eight add $588 million for AETP alongside funding for the engine core upgrade. In other words, for some reason, the uh, House Armed Service Committee says we can have our ice cream and eat it too, or our cake and eat it too, or whatever. Uh, back to Lockheed. This is kind of interesting. This guy, Ulmer from Lockheed, his comments in Paris were a departure from his previous approach to the F-35 future propulsion system, which he opted not to take aside. In other words, what you guys want to do is up to you. Uh, here's an interview from December, from Defense News in 22, September. He said he was agnostic over whether an adaptive engine or an upgrade to F-135 was a better way to go. Uh, Ulmer said at the time that Lockheed's role is to provide the Pentagon with the information on what the F-35's power and cooling needs will be, and that the department ultimately make the decision. It's not mine to decide; it's the customers. Well, I guess he's gone. He's gone. Uh, gone back on that and picked a side. Anyway, uh, so now we're caught up on all the F-35 stuff. Uh, moving on, we got a UK story. Always like doing a UK story. If I can find it, stand by and I'll pull it up. Somewhere. Almost there. Here we go. From Defense News. I'm sorry, Defense Post. We always have stories from Defense Post. And here's one. UK says fighter jets in Baltic scrambled 21 times over Russian aircraft. And this is today. From the staff. Uh, UK fighter jets have been scrambled to respond to Russian aircraft 21 times in the last three weeks under NATO's air policing operations in Europe's Baltic region, uh, Britain said late Saturday, which was yesterday. The Royal Air Force Typhoon fighters currently operating out of Estonia are part of the so-called Quick Reaction Alert, aircraft used by a Western alliance to secure its eastern flank. Their response comes amid heightened tensions with Moscow over its ongoing war in Ukraine, which has been temporarily overshadowed this weekend by a mutiny with within Russia with the Wagner paramilitary group, which everybody's been watching on the news. 
the UK Typhoons, which have been operating out of Estonia since March, were launched to monitor the Russian aircraft when they failed to respond to air traffic agencies. That's from the British MOD. The Russian aircraft intercepted include SU-27 fighter jets as well as long-range bombers, transport, and intelligence collection aircraft. Uh, UK Secretary Ben Wallace said the intercept for a stark reminder of the value of collective defense and deterrence provided by NATO. Uh, while deployed to Estonia, the RAF has also taken part in several major aerial exercises with NATO allies, including Exercise Air Defender, which the minister described as the largest since the end of the Cold War, featuring 250 aircraft and 10,000 personnel from 25 nations. And that's end of story. Moving on. Uh, We've got a couple of drone stories, uh, more unmanned systems, uncrewed systems, however you want to say it. Robot-enabled maneuver coming to a conflict near you in the future. Moving on, Greece, uh, Greece picks Saffron's patroller for tactical drone fleet. This is from Joe Sabala, 23 June. The Greek Army has selected French firm Saffron Electronics and Defense to support its aging tactical drone force. The deal was brokered by NATO Support and Procurement Agency during the Paris Air Show of 23. Under the agreement, the company will provide four patroller medium-altitude long-endurance drones to Athens. The unmanned platforms will feature improved navigation systems, onboard electronics, and optronics. Once delivered, the patrollers will operate Greece's current fleet of 16 Spurwer tactical unmanned aircraft from the French firm Sagem, S-A-G-E-M. Uh, about the patroller, built on the STEM S-15 uh, aircraft, Safran's patroller drone is powered by a 115-horsepower engine for a flight endurance of up to 15 hours and a max speed of 200k per hour. Man, that thing's quick. Additionally, the drone can be operated manually or autonomously with a line-of-sight range of 124 miles or 200k. The patroller can be fitted with a EO optical infrared pod for ground surveillance or multi-mode surveillance radar for long-range maritime missions. Excuse me. It also boasts automatic identification for ship classification and synthetic aperture radar for detecting moving targets. Automatic automatic identification. That's that. Uh, you're going to start seeing that right on these sensors. Uh, AI, which you tell it what it has a library or some sort of library that you tell I want it to follow the uh, the Russian destroyer or, or you know get up there autonomously fly and when, don't bother me until you see a Russian destroyer of this type and it flies around and once it detects it it's got this identification feature and it says hey we see, we see what you want us to look for anyway that's what's coming all right here we go another drone story uh, France taps Nexter to develop anti-tank kamikaze drone. In Derbyshire, 23 June, the French Defense Innovation Agency has contracted Nexter-led consortium to develop an anti-armor loitering munition. Loitering munition. We hear all about that, especially these anti-armor ones. Initial demonstration of the medium-range remotely operated weapon will be held at the end of 2024 under the Seagull Project. The EOS technology system features Next Nexter's core generation generating charge technology and GPS denied navigation system ensuring operation in contested airspace. That's big too, right? GPS degraded or denied. 
Uh, the munition will have a range of 80K and an endurance of three hours. Its core generation generating charge technology will be able to defeat a tank's active defenses and pierce its armor. In other words, if they've got that reactive armor, I guess it'll go through both. Uh, the platform's optronic ball will ensure intelligence capability, ensuring enabling it to detect at 15K away by day and 3K at night. Uh, the vertical takeoff and landing system will be, be reusable upon missing a target with easy, safe arming, disarming of the warhead. So in other words, if you have to wave off and not kill what you want to kill, you can bring it back safely without blowing up yourself, right? Uh, moving on, echoing the French president's address and speeches by the French Minister of Armed Forces and Chief of Staff of the Armed Forces. Uh, France wants to catch up in terms of remotely delivered munitions, but to be one word ahead, Nexter stated. To this end, sovereign nations for remotely operated ammunition entirely manufactured in France. Uh, this will take the form of a demonstrator with unprecedented period of 18 months in order to testing new operating modes. So they're going to have it in 18 months. They're already out there now, but I guess France wants their own. All right. Done with that story. Let's go to German, German type HIMARS. Um, I think we might have done a story on this before. Probably. Uh, when's the last time we did a show? Like four days ago? Yeah, so this show, uh, this, this story is after the last episode. So Lockheed Martin Rheinmetall pair up to build Europe-made rocket launcher. Think of this as, I guess, a European HIMARS. Uh, from 23 June, two days ago, Lockheed Martin Rheinmetall are partnering to offer a European-made rocket launcher based on Lockheed's high-mobility artillery rocket system, also known as HIMARS, to Germany and its neighbors. The GMARS, they're going to call it, system is envisioned to be a wheeled artillery system replacing Berlin's aging Mars-2 multiple launch rocket system. Uh, the weapon will integrate a Rheinmetall chassis and a Lockheed Martin loader component. Journey specifically has been in discussions with Rheinmetall and Lockheed Martin to find a replacement for its MAR-2 system. A memorandum of understanding between the two companies was signed in April, a few months ago. The GMAR solution will be proposed by two companies, with the G denoting Germany, and will be similar to a HIMARS, but with a much larger chassis provided by Rheinmetall and a double loadout of capability with two rocket pods instead of one. Of course, you know the HIMARS only has one. This will have two. Uh, the chassis will be built on Rheinmetall's protected off-the-shelf H by eight. I'm sorry. The chassis will would be based on Rheinmetall's protected off-the-shelf HX eight by eight vehicle. Uh, the Lockheed's launcher loader component will be then integrated on the back of the truck with an overall integration efforts taking place in Germany. Once under contract, the initial 5G MAR systems could be delivered for testing and acceptance as early as 2025, a couple years away. Should Germany choose to support its production, GMARS will feature about 80% commonality with the HIMARS, munitions, packages, and logistics change. It will require three personnel to operate the same as the HIMARS. That's a nice story. Who wrote that story? Viveni Machi. Good job, Viveni Machi. All right. All right, brace yourselves. We're going to go over some budget stuff because both the House Armed Services uh, Committee and the Senate Armed Services Committee 
release their budget. Now, this is not the appropriations. These are like the authorizers. So the House authorizers and the Senate authorizers have put out their stuff. What time is it? 24 minutes. I'll try not to bore you to death. We'll do the House first. And then after the Senate, then we're done. Uh, where's the House? Here we go. This is from Justin Katz, Ashley Roquet, and Jasper Gill. 22 June from Breaking Defense. They always do a good job with the budget, I think. So nukes, helos, amphibs, house authorizers passed 874 policy bill 58 to 1. So remember, you got the house authorization, the Senate authorization. Then it goes to the house appropriations, the Senate appropriations, and they and then they decide what's really going to be paid. And then the House and the Senate, at some point, appropriators get together and they hammer out what it's going to be. So we're still away from that, but this is like the first couple of steps. Anyway, House, off, uh, House Armed Services Committee oversight advanced its annual defense policy bill with bipartisan support. Uh, it includes several major policy shifts, including the establishment of a low-yield nuclear cruise missile. Uh, there was a vote of 58 to 1. Uh, the bill recommends $874.2 billion defense budget for 2024 which aligns with the budget deal the White House made with congressional leaders in May. The bill's passage out of committee is significant set toward the president's desk, uh, but it now must survive a debate on the House floor as well as a reconciliation with the Senate's counterpart bill before be signed into law, which kind of what I went to. Remember, there's like all these steps that's got to be, that has got to go into it. So separately, the Senate Armed Service Committee uh, the House Appropriations Committee and the Senate Appropriations Committee are all advancing their own pieces of defense legislation. So this is the House uh, authorizers. You got the House appropriators and then you got the Senate authorizers and the Senate appropriators. I just said that. This is why people are probably falling asleep now. Uh, Republicans led by Colorado Senator Den Doug Lamborn were able to approve a provision that directs the Pentagon to establish a program or record for a low-yield Nuclear cruise missile. This is very interesting to me. Experimentation for such weapons has been effectively on life support since the White House expressed opposition to its development, citing fears it would increase possibility of nuclear armed conflict. So the lawmakers want it. The White House don't want it. But there's other advocates for it. So advocates for this weapon is called uh, the SLCMN. I don't know what that means. I don't know if the author talks about that. Let's see if the author talks about it. Maybe I missed it somewhere. Nope. Anyway, advocates of the weapon say America's adversaries will develop similar munitions regardless of the White House policy concerns and the United States must be prepared. Of course, General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told lawmakers that the weapon, despite the administration's opposition, provides options in the case of an emergency situation. Here's a quote from him in 2022. I will say that you as a member of Congress who have oversight responsibilities, my position on this weapon has not changed. The general view is that this president or any other president deserves to have multiple options to deal with national security situations. Moving on from that, uh, we're going to talk about the San Antonio Amphibious Transport Dock. Uh, the Committee on Bipartisan Basis approved a provision that would, that would assist the United States Navy and paying for an additional San Antonio-class amphibious transport dock. Remember, we've been talking about that. 
While congressional authorizers have shown overwhelming support for the shift, the White House did not request. Uh, House appropriators have thus, thus far not included in the defense bill, meaning it's unclear whether the Pentagon will ultimately begin buying the ship next year. So the House authorizers are for it. We don't know what the appropriators are. Now we're going to talk about, uh, let's see, the committee approved a provision that will prevent the Air Force from using money to shut down or prepare to shut down Sikorsky's HH-60 production line. As part of the FY24 budget, the service wanted to stick to its plans established last year to end procurement of the helicopter, dropping an original program of record from 113 to 175, while wow, cutting it at almost half. At the same time, the Army's selection of the Bell V-280 Valor for its multi-billion dollar FLARA, Future Long Range Assault Aircraft Program, places more focus on Sikorsky's Hilo production as Army leaders have a clear vision of what will replace a sizable number of Sikorsky UH Blackhawks. However, they must grapple with the UH 60 sustainment plan and the as of yet undetermined mix of FLARA and Blackhawks to fly in the future. That's what I want to see. I mean, how many Blackhawks are out there? Thousands, right? I mean, you can't, you're going to have some Blackhawks around. And I'm kind of curious on what the service, what the Army is going to have for a mix of Flora and and uh, UH-60s. Here we go. We're, we're going to talk about that engine in the F-35. House, law, house lawmakers also seek to keep the adaptive engine transition program going after the Air Force indicated it was ditching the program for the F-35. Uh, and they gave eight, $588 million in authorized funds, which we kind of talked about earlier. A significantly greater amount than what the House appropriators would back based on $150 million they offered to keep the program alive. That's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Do they got the money for both? Probably not. Uh, I'm going to stop right there and let's go see what the Senate's got going on. If I can find it. Here we go. This is from also uh, breaking defense from Justin Katz. Senate authorizers post a uh, pressure Navy on amphib fleet, threaten financial penalties. So we just went over the House. This is what the Senate has got to say. This is from, what's the date? 23 June. Senate lawmakers in the Defense Policy Bill are poised to maintain pressure on the Navy to change course on the amphibious warship fleet, as well as push the service to prepare for a second shipyard to produce the Constellation class frigate. The Senate Armed Service Committee, one of the four congressional panels with authorities to oversight the Pentagon budget, we mentioned the other, through, other three earlier, uh, supporting the White House entire shipbuilding request, as well as recommending full funding for the $1.9 billion San Antonio-class amphibious transport dock LPD-33, which is a top Marine Corps unfunded priority that has been central to every congressional hearing on the Navy's budget request. Now, we've talked about this many times. Uh, so the Senate is down. The House is down for it. The Senate is down for it. At least the, the authorizers are. Uh, this matches the recommendation made by the House lawmakers earlier in the week. In addition to recommended funding for the LPD-33, the committee also included a host of provisions aimed at directing the Navy not to let the amphibious warship fleet deteriorate any further. Here are the three provisions. Uh, one is to have the service schedule maintenance and repair activities for amphibs to ensure that 24 such warships are available for worldwide deployment at any time. That's number one. Number two, 
seek quarterly briefings for lawmakers on the operational status of the amphib fleet. <laughs> See, the Navy's done messed in this little mess kit, right? Now the now the lawmakers want to want a, a, a freaking how often a quarterly report on the amphib fleet. Uh, third would be require submission of a 30-year shipbuilding plan that it maintains a 31 amphibious ships in the fleet. I think they've been asking that for a minute. Uh, what else? Almost done. Uh, the draft legislation also says sent lawmakers would prevent the service from retiring three amphibious ships as well as one Aegis cruiser earlier in the expiration, uh, expiration of their useful lives. The Navy budget requests included retiring three cruisers, three amphibious ships, and two littoral combat ships. Uh, speaking to reporters today following the bill's summary release, Senate Tim Kaine, uh, Senator Tim Kaine, chairman of the subcommittee on sea power, said the Pentagon's resistance has stemmed primarily from the Office of Secretary of Defense and the White House's Office of Management budget rather than the Navy and Marine Corps leadership. That's a surprise to me, or maybe I've been following this wrong and here's a quote i think the navy secretary carlos del toro and the commandant david berger and the chief of naval operations admiral gilday have all said exactly the same thing we need 31 ready amphib ships so when the budget comes over and there's no path to 31 you ask the question why you just told us you need them and the answer is because the omb which is the operational management budget and the White House and the Secretary of Defense Office decided that didn't make the cut. So how about a, somebody asked the Secretary of Defense, Mr. Austin, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, about this? Nobody, I've not seen a quote from those guys on this. I mean, weigh in any time, guys. I mean, you're only the two top top, top folks over there. Uh, the Senate Armed Service Committee draft legislation comes the same week after three committees overseeing. We've already talked about that. I think we're done. Anyway, what do we need to keep an eye out for? Obviously, this budget stuff, we've already got the House and the Senate authorizers. we got to see what the appropriations are going to do. So we're watching the AMFIB stuff. Inquiring minds, inquiring minds want to know. And then this F-135 engine stuff. What are they going to do? Are they going to upgrade it or are they going to replace it? What else? That's it. All right. 34 minutes. Not a bad episode. Not a lot going on this week and beyond. Well, a lot of that Russia stuff going on, but not a lot of stuff in the defense news. I guess it's because it's budget time. Anyway, this is it. Episode 136 is in the books. Thank you very much for listening and good night. <laughs>